certainly is a wonderful privilege to be here with you this morning assembled in worship as I trust we have been worshiping um, about for the last 40 minutes or so. Um, it's been a blessing to be here. Um, we recognize our dependence as we stand in this place to the Lord. Um, not just my dependence, but your dependence as well. Um, the Spirit of God is needed if we are to worship. The Spirit of God is needed if we are to receive that food from a far country, which is food for our souls. It's spiritual food meant for a spiritual construction that's inside of us. I can't give you that. Only the Lord can communicate that to you. But as much as we feel that it is right for us to be standing to you right now, um, we do have a scripture on our minds. The scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 12. And we want to speak to you this morning from the 24th verse, but I want to read to you um, verses 22 through 24. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 to 24 reads this. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirit of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things, speaketh better things than that of Abel. You pray that the Lord will get me out of the way and that he will shine through and will be blessed to see Jesus and not what I have for you right here, what he has for you. The context of these scriptures right here in Hebrews 12 is talking about the place that the Israelites came to in the context of the old Levitical law. Now, the old Levitical law was not unrighteous. It was exactly what God meant for it to do. But in the case that some people think it was meant to give life, it was not meant to give life. It was actually meant to show unrighteousness. It was meant to mark out iniquity. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 says a law... The law was the shadow of good things to come. Verse 3 says, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sin. There was sorrow in that law. There was a remembrance in that law made because every time that that priest went into the tabernacle, he had to bring blood. He had to bring the blood of an animal. He had to bring a sacrifice for his sins. What that law cried out, in a sense, was it highlighted our injustice with God. It highlighted our sins. It highlighted that we needed something to bear those sins for us. It highlighted that we needed a sacrifice. That is what the first covenant says. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's righteous. It's God, it's God given. But there came a point, and, check, and verse 24 tells you this, there came a point where there was a mediator between those first two covenants. There was a mediator set between that old law service and what we have today. And that mediator was Jesus. He changed the view of what we saw, took our focus off of our depravity and off of our sins and put it on the one who bore them, who actually bore them. The blood of bulls and goats can't bear your sins. You can't bear your sins, but Jesus can and Jesus did. He was the mediator of a better covenant that we might look perfectly right now and we might see him as the justifier and he justifies us as the people who believe in Jesus. Amen. So that's what we are come to. We are come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. 
And this new covenant, it did not disannul the old covenant, but it fulfilled the old covenant. What we would have to speak to you this morning is found in the latter half of this verse. And it says, and to the blood of sprinkling, this is what you come to, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now that's a strange statement. It doesn't sound like, you know, by my own rationale, that blood can speak. You know, blood can tell a story, but blood can't speak, right? The Bible said this blood speaks. That's very atypical language that we find in Scripture. And the only other place that it's used is in Genesis chapter 4. And would to God we would turn there right now. These are two places in Scripture that talks about blood speaking. And many of you can guess where we're going because the name of the person that we're looking at right now is in the verse that we just went from. The blood that speaks in the Bible is twofold. The blood of Jesus speaks and the blood of Abel speaks, but they speak two very, very different things. Abel's a semblance of the old law service. Jesus is a semblance of the new covenant that we have here. Starting in verse 1, we want to read this account to you. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. And bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she said again, um, she said again, bear his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, Why hast thou done? What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth. This blood's crying, speaking, but it's crying unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be made in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Aside from the account that we heard before this in Genesis chapter 3 of sin entering into the world and death by sin, this is one of the saddest accounts that we find in the Word of God. This is the first murder that was ever committed. And And no murder is just, but this one in particular had an interesting sting to it. You see, sin at that point, we saw sin enter in by Adam. That's how sin came into the world. It was not through another man. It was not through God himself. It was through Adam. But we see sin associated 
with some things. We see sin associated as separation from God. We see, at this point, sin associated with nakedness. We can't hide anything from God. Sometimes we think that we can hide things from God. God sees all. God sees, God sees our sin. We can't hide anything from him. There's nowhere for us to hide that God is not there. We see sin associated with needless work, with effort. Adam had to deal with the thorns and the thistles of this life. He had to deal with the hard ground of this life because he sinned against God. <laughs> Work in the sweat of thy face. Pain was associated with sin at this point. Pain and childbirth with Eve. Traumatic things, terrible things were associated with sin at this point. But you know what was not associated with sin at this point? Physical death. Physical death comes as a result of death and trespasses and sins. And I will tell you, child of God, perhaps the most heinous thing that we can see in this life, perhaps the most feared thing by most people that we can see in this life, is physical death. But death and trespasses and sins is much worse than physical death. By physical death has come from a death and trespasses and sins. Cain saw that. Cain saw what he had done, sinned against God himself, sinned against the covenant that he gave to Adam, and he was a sinner. And he said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You ever felt that? The punishment that was meant for us, the punishment that would have been on our name, is greater than we can bear. What is the blood of Abel crowd? It cries out depravity. It cries out avenge me. It cries out we need an intercessor. It cries out what was done to me was unjust. Sin is here. That's what the blood of Abel cries out. Mm. Thanks be unto God we have a different blood. Cries out something different than depravity. I want to ask you, child of God, something I haven't considered very much in my life, but we need to consider right now. What if that blood wasn't there? What if the blood of Jesus was not there? What would our lives look like right now? What would our lives look like? I'll tell you this. Our prayers would not be heard. We would have no intercessor. We would have no way to the Father. Grace would not be there. We would not be seeking after God because we would not have the measures to seek after God. You know what the wicked man says? It says God is not in all of his thoughts. David wrote that in Psalms chapter 10. He said God is not in all the thoughts of the wicked. You would not be thinking about God. You wouldn't understand the things of righteousness. You wouldn't seek after God if God did not have a special account with you. If God did not put his love within your heart, you wouldn't see that. We would be out in the world. We would be out among that wicked crew, as Job talks about. We would be walking in the ways of unrighteousness. We would be prisoners to our own pride. We would be prisoners to our own desire. We would not be seeking God if Jesus' blood had not been shed. And there would come a point when we would die and we would see the results of our sin we would see the results of the disrespect that we had given God we would be cast 
into a burning, eternal, damned place. All of us, all of humanity would have been there right. to be there forever, apart from God, suffering. Mm. Jesus delivered you from that. The blood of Jesus Christ said all of that is null and void for those that I have died for. He did something special for you, child of God. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he would talk about the toil that he had in Asia. He would talk about the people who were seeking his life to kill him, to literally end his life to where he wouldn't be here anymore. And he said we were pressed without measure, but we had the semblance of death within ourselves that we should not trust in man, but God who raises the dead. You see, Paul said this. He said we had the semblance of death within ourselves. That did not mean that he knew that death was coming. He said we have the answer of death that's coming. What is the answer of death for you, child of God? It's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of Jesus Christ that he suffered death for you. And he delivered you from so great a death. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about death in Adam. He's talking about the death that came to all the family of man. Literally depravity itself. Literally by death came sin. And by sin was the strength of the law. Death is a result of sin. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All of God's elect children are going, are saved. They are saved on the merits of Jesus Christ. And by some point between conception and death, that spirit is going to enter their hearts. They're going to be regenerated. They're going to be born again. They were in that state of death and trespasses and sins. They had no way of walking after God. They had no way of seeking him. But when Jesus Christ came in, my sheep have heard my voice. You're his little sheep. You have heard his voice if you've had that account with him right now. Isn't that so sweet that here in this account of Cain and Abel, God had respect to Abel's offering. It doesn't say why he had respect to him, but I rather suspect that it's because he saw the sacrifice of Jesus there. He said he had respect for his offering. That means God literally looked intently on here. He gazed upon it. He thought about it. He was in awe of that sacrifice. Why? Because this was the firstling of his flock. Who is Jesus for you and me? He's the firstling of the flock. He's the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who's given his life for the sheep. Let's turn to John chapter 10, if you will, and get some of those good words. John chapter 10, and in verse 11, talks about our Jesus as a shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life, giveth his life for the sheep. Now, let me ask you this, child of God, what is dearer to you than your own life? There is nothing on the face of this earth that is dearer than life itself. Many people spend millions of dollars over to try to make themselves live longer because they see the preciousness of life. I'm going to tell you, child of God, life's not something that you can buy. Life's not something that you can just prolong by a huge period of time by yourself. Life is precious 
There's many children on the face of this earth right now who are denied that privilege because they are killed in the womb. And call it what it is. That's what it is. They are killed in the womb. We pray, pray to God that that end here in our country. But you see the preciousness of life. What did Jesus give? He didn't give some sum of money. He did not give an opportunity. He gave his life for you. Literally heaven's best thing that could ever be offered Proverbs chapter 8 and around verse 10 actually uses that same word, respect, that we see in um, Genesis chapter 4. And you don't have to turn here if you don't want to, but it's too good to miss right here. It talks about the preciousness of our Savior, the preciousness of that life. If you want to turn to it, though, um, it's Proverbs chapter 8. And we find... Here in verse 24, now this is speaking of Jesus. This is as Jesus is speaking. He said, when there, no, there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were set, settled, before the hills was, I brought, I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, before the world ever was, here was Jesus. He said, he established the clouds above, and when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea its decrees, commanding all of these things in the world that are uncommandable by us. We can't move the water. We can't stop the wind. Jesus can, and all these things are moving in his decree. What power does Jesus have? What power does God himself have? What power does the Holy Spirit have? I promise you this, child of God, it's power enough to overwhelm your little fleshly heart. It's power enough for him to come into your heart unelicited. What are we going to do when Jesus comes and decrees his decree? We as the form thing can't say any, into anything that formed us. Like we can't. We can't say no to that. Jesus, when he speaks, it stands fast. When he commands, it is upholding. And here's what it says right here. It says in verse 30 of Proverbs chapter 8, Then I was by him. Jesus was by God the Father. As one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight. This word delight and respect comes from the same word. It's a gazing. It's a looking upon. It's an intent, just desire for that thing. You want, you want to look at it. It grabs your attention. Jesus had the attention of God the Father daily. He was his delight. He was staring at him. He was literally heaven's best when Jesus came to this world and he was baptized God the Father literally said from heaven when the spirit came down as a dove this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased God was pleased with his son he was always pleased with his son because of the capability that he had to redeem the family of God because of the surety that he had to redeem the family of God there was no question that God would have praise and have honor of his son. He was always his delight. God can see from eternity past to eternity future. There's no way that Jesus would not be the, the delight of the Father. But here's what's the most amazing thing to me about this scripture. It says this of Jesus when he's looking of God. He was rejoicing in the habitable part of this earth. And my delights were what? Were with the sons of men. When God looked at Jesus, it uses the same word of how Jesus looks at you. His eyes are continually on you. He rejoices at the sight of you. His eyes are forever fixed 
on his family. He rejoices when he sees you. The desire of God the Father, the love that he had for all his people, the love that God had for Jesus, it's something that's just unmatchable. That someone who has all power, who has all glory, who has the cattle of a thousand hills, we can't give him anything. We have no righteousness to plead. Our righteousness are filthy rags. If we gave something to God of our own self, it would be a disrespect to him. He would be outright rejection. We couldn't do that, but he's given us the things that we need to praise him how he wants to be praised. He's given us a spirit within us who knows nothing but purity, that knows nothing, but he wants to see the face of God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that comes down into this world, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You can't communicate natural things to a spiritual construction. What happens when God has fellowship with us? We, as a spiritual construction inside of us, our um, fleshly heart that God has given us communicates with God himself, the spiritual nature of God the Father that comes down to us and there is fellowship there. Praise be unto God for that. For His unspeakable gifts. <laughs> Back in John 10 it says, I am the good shepherd. And it me though. Psalms chapter 23, one of the most well-known psalms. Um, I think if any of us could quote a chapter in the Bible, it's probably Psalms 23. He says, I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to a lot of us can quote it probably, but I can't right now. I apologize. Psalms chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means he does not leave you wanting anything. That means he does not need, leave you needing anything. Jesus supplies your spiritual needs, child of God. Are you going through something difficult? Are you going through something where you have encountered spiritual death recently? I'm going to tell you, Hebrews chapter 2, it says he destroyed, he being Jesus, destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus destroyed the fear of physical death for you and I. Why? Because he took that and made it a way of deliverance. He made it a way of deliverance for the child of God that when we breathe our last breath, do you know what we can see? It's not eternal damnation. It's not hell itself. It's Jesus Christ that we can see. I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at the ladder of the day. How did Job know that? He had a spirit within him. He had a function within him. He had something in him that literally bore out truth itself and it spoke to him. And he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at the latter day. And when I go home, I'm going to be with him. I'm going to be with him indefinitely there. My sheep hear my voice. And I follow him. He says, he leadeth me. Um, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. It's a good place. He makes you to lie down in fertile places. Places that you're going to be fed. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You're not going to be wanting for water. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. We find a wonderful verse here in Romans chapter 8. And in verse 2, talking about this right here. And this walking, child of God, it's not an action that you and I do. It's not conditional, but it is speaking of our condition in Christ Jesus. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, 
but after the Spirit. What does it mean when he says he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake? It says that he hath put us in the paths of righteousness for his, his name's sake, for the sake of his own glory, for the sake that he has literally done that for us, and it's to the praise of his glory. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. What did Jesus do? He delivered you, child of God, from so great a death. How could we not trust him right here when we see our depravity built up so high? And when Romans 5 literally says where sin did abound, do you see your sins in your life abounding? Do you see the things in your life that you've looked over and you don't even know that they were a sin? And later you come to find out, wow, I have issues. I really need to change that. That sin amounting up. Do you see that? How big it actually is. It says sin or grace much more abounds. That means it's super abounding. It's so far above it that we can't even know it. And Jesus gave that to you. Sin abounds or grace abounds with Jesus. Sin abounds with you. But he took that away. I'm the good shepherd. John 10 verse 11. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling. And not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and are known of mine. Some people in this world want to paint Jesus like an hireling. They want to paint him as someone who said, okay, I died for you. I've consumed most of your sins. But if you don't come to me and you don't hear my gospel and you don't live in that all the days of your life, I'm going to flee away like an hireling. That's not our shepherd. Our shepherd owns us. The triune Godhead came together before him. Before literally this world ever was. And they came and they talked and they communed with one another. And they said, this is my people. I love them. They predestinated us to heaven itself. And they said, look, son of God, he's going to be the one that delivers these people from so great a death. He's going to be the one that sprinkles them with his own precious blood. They didn't have blood. Those people, those, that elect family of God, they didn't have blood that they could sprinkle themselves with, that they could be in heaven with one day. Neither by the bulls of goats can, can this be done. It could only be done by Jesus. Amen. He justified the family of God. He is not a hireling. He does not flee away when our troubles come. Sometimes it feels like he hides his face from us. But I'm going to tell you what, child of God, even in those times where you don't feel God with you, He's there. Amen. He's watching over you. There's never been a step that you've taken that Jesus hadn't known about. There's never been a struggle that you've had. There's never been a sleepless night. There's never been a time in the day where you've had anxiety that Jesus hadn't known about. He's the remedy for that. Maybe we still have struggles in life, but He'll help us get through those struggles. Sometimes we have insurmountable mountains with us, but you know what our Savior does? As Isaiah 41 says, He gives us a sharp, threshing instrument to start working on that mountain. What a Savior. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. He gives us 
that ability to know Him. He gives us that Spirit within us that cries out, Abba, Father. When regeneration happens, something amazing comes into our life. When Jesus said, live, you live. And in 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 27, we have some amazing words about how these sheep know Him, how they put His how he puts their spirit within them, his spirit within them, that they have the ability to know him. He says, the anointing which ye have received, did you get it? Was it just hiding under a tree somewhere? Was it on the other side of town? No, you received it of him. The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Now, I understand sometimes King James English can be a little bit interesting, but that little ETH right here, that means it's not going away. That means it is abiding and it's there to stay, never to be removed. The Spirit of God within you will never go away. Sometimes you can seal yourself off to feeling it, but that just means your skin got thicker. It doesn't mean the light within you left. That light is shining as brightly as it's ever been, child of God, as brightly as it's ever been since Jesus himself came and put it there at the time, at the time of that anointing. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. What did Job know about Jesus? What did Adam know about Jesus? What did Abraham know about Jesus? They didn't know the name of Jesus. How did they know him? There was something that was bearing witness inside of them. Amen. And you talk about the power of God that can come on man to pin these words in such specificity as Job did when he said, I know that my Redeemer lived. Who told him to use the word Redeemer? Who told him that said he was going to live at the latter day? Who told Job that he was unrighteous? Who told him that he was a bad person and he needed a Savior? The Spirit of God told him about that. It bore witness within, within Simon. No, he didn't know the name Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, child of God, the same, same way that Carter right there knows Sister Micah, is the same way that you know the Savior. You might not understand. There might be children of God out there that have never heard the gospel, that have never even known the name of Jesus. They could be living all by themselves in a tyrannical government, and they could be suppressed to the point where they can't even practice religion itself. That little child, Spirit of God's inside of them, they know their Father. They know their Redeemer. They know his voice. I know my sheep and are known of mine. Man, that is precious. I want to go to one more place in closing. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. And in verse 17 reads this. And if you call on the Father, this is talking about prayer right here. And I'm going to tell you, child of God, there are some ifs in the word of God that are there because of the condition. This one, you can, most easy, you can easily say that this is something that you're going to do. You're going to call on the Father if you call on the Father. Another example of how this if is used is in Romans 8 where it says, If God be for us, and he is, 
He is for His people who can be against us. It says, and if you call on the Father, you will call on the Father, who without respective persons, He doesn't have favorites in His kingdom. He doesn't say, Brother James White, you're better than Brother John Mark, Brother Paul, you're better than Brother John Mark. Jesus doesn't do that. He's not a respecter of persons. He's without respect of persons. He loves you all the same. Judges according to every, without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. We are living in this life. We have problems in this life. We have tribulations in this life. And it's talking about, this scripture right here is talking about when we bring those problems and those tribulations to the Father. And what our eyes should be set on when we do bring those tribulations to him. When we do talk about our trials in life. It says when you pass the time of your sojourning here. Isn't that word sojourning so precious? We're not here for a long time. We're just passing through. We're strangers and we're pilgrims. We're on our way to the place that the Lord has given us. Our permanent home. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed. What does the word redeemed mean? If I go out here to buy a four-wheeler right now and they're getting pricier and pricier every day and it's $8,000 and I say, Mister, here's your money for it and it's $799.99. You know, if he's a nice guy, he'll probably say, you know what? You can have it. It's just one cent. It's not that big of a deal. You know who can't do that? God. His courtroom is righteous. His courtroom demands perfection. Any spot off of perfection is imperfection. So what did God have to do for his people? He had to redeem them. The word redeem means paid in full. If your debt was $8,000, that means your debt was paid $8,000. He redeemed his people. What did he redeem them with? He says, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's much more precious than silver and gold. And you were redeemed from your vain conversations from all your sins. I said I was going to stop. But I've got one more place that I want to share with y'all. It's Hebrews chapter 9. The blood of Jesus cries out righteousness. The blood of Jesus cries out peace. And our verse that we started in, it says, You are come to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The verse that we want to share with you at the end is Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 19. And it says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water. And again, this is a semblance of what Jesus does. It didn't take away any sin, but it points to Jesus. It points to what Jesus right. was going to do. And he says, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined with you. What's the word that Jesus used when he cleansed his people? He said he sprinkled them. He said the blood of sprinkling. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 says, You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit through, um, to sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the justification 
of his people. And I'm going to tell you, child of God, there's a precious visual that's right here. Moses couldn't go around and just kind of have a bucket right here and have it full of goat's blood and just do that, like Frisbee it out to you. He couldn't do that. He had to go to each person individually, and he had to say, here's your blood, here's your blood, here's your blood. He did that with the entire family of Israel. Jesus Christ does that with the entire elect family of God. He takes special attention on each one of you. He loves you individually. He died for you individually. It says when he was there on the cross, he said for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. His blood was shed for you, despising the shame. He is set down at the right hand of God, a symbol of victory, a symbol of power, and a symbol of where our Savior sits today. God bless you. Love you.